Well, good morning, everyone. I'm not sure you do happy long weekend or something like that, but whatever it is, glad to have you with us this morning. For those joining us online, a special welcome to you as well from wherever you happen to be joining us from in the world today. For those that chose to go camping and things this weekend, you know it's never wise on May long weekend. You just know it's going to rain or be cold or something, so just wait till the weekend after. But wherever you are, campsites or anywhere in the world, glad that you're with us today at Rexdale Alliance Church. We started a series last weekend called After God's Own Heart, which is going to be our journey uh, over the next number of weeks through the story of David. A story of David found all through the scriptures in more than 60 chapters. We're not going to cover all of them, but some of the highlights over the next month about David's heart and his pursuit of God. Although an imperfect, broken guy, like all of us, and yet there was qualities about his heart that the scriptures keep calling out that we can begin to emulate and learn from. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this weekend, uh, we probably are going to be looking at one of the most familiar stories in the whole Bible. I mean, even if you've never had a Bible, and you've never met a Christian, and you've never even really thought that much about spiritual matters, you've probably heard about this story. So show of hands, confession time, how many of you have heard of the story of David and Goliath? Anybody? So everybody, good, excuse me, I was even on uh, social media yesterday and someone was talking about the fact, uh, artist in Nashville, he wrote a song, he feels like his song has been stolen by the big record companies, and what does he say? I'm David, I'm getting smashed by Goliath, and everybody knew what he meant. That's how popular this story is. Most all of you know it. And it takes up the whole chapter of of, uh, 1 Samuel 17. So I'm not going to read through it all, but we are going to move through it together and look at a variety of verses. And I invite you just to turn there now. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the scriptures will also be coming up on the screens. The story begins with this very formidable guy. A guy by the name of Goliath, and I think he would have been a very high draft pick in the NBA just by nature of his stature. The author says that this Goliath was a champion of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines and the Israelites were sworn enemies. They hated each other. They always went to war as soon as it was wartime and the kings would go off to war. The Philistines and the Israelites were constantly colliding. And so we have this Goliath person from the people of the Philistines. And he does what is kind of custom, customary in war at that time, which is to say, I'm going to challenge you, O Israel, he says, to send out your champion, whoever is your giant, whoever is the one in your context, who is your champion for battle, send him out. And then I'll come out, Goliath says, and we'll just settle the whole deal one-on-one. And whoever wins, the other people's army and the other people of that nation become subservient or slaves to the winner. So instead of these battles where all the armies come out and clash and there's all this mess and everything else, Goliath is saying, listen, you probably have a champion on your side. I'm the champion on the Philistine side. So let's just settle this whole thing one-on-one and then everybody can go home. Of course, you'll be slaves, but that's okay. It'll be settled. And there's this description of him, this Goliath. Scripture says that he's over nine feet tall. And then in verse 5, it says that Goliath had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. How much is a shekel? We'll get there in a minute. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. This is a massive coat of armor. 
Actually, it weighed about 200 pounds. His armor weighed 200 pounds. And think about this. The head of his spear that he was about to throw, that he would throw in battle, just the head of the spear was 25 pounds. How much power do you need to get trajectory with a 25-pound head on a spear? And then on his legs, it says were bronze greaves. Anyone curious about what greaves are? They're just leg coverings. So this is not an easy foe to come up against. He's literally covered in metal with these massive weapons. Now, obviously, in Israel, the obvious guy in the story to go and face off against Goliath is the king of Israel at the time, a man named Saul. The scripture describes Saul as standing head and shoulders above all the Israelites. He was taller than everybody. Who was Israel's giant? It was King Saul. But Saul, although the giant of Israel, the champion of Israel, he's not real excited about going out and having this one-on-one confrontation with Goliath. So Saul decides he's not going to do it. Instead, he goes to the army and says, I'm going to offer a special compensation package to whoever goes out and faces Goliath in the valley. And he said to any soldier, I'm going to give you great wealth. You know what? You'll even be tax-free the rest of your life. Oh, and this... I'll give you my daughter. You can marry her if you live to marry her. My daughter, you, you can have her if you go fight Goliath. Now, apparently Saul was not up for any father of the year awards. As he kind of trots his daughter out, says, you can have her. He's going to let his daughter go fairly easily to anybody who would stand in his place, his rightful place, and fight Goliath. And nobody would take it on. The Bible says that for 40 days... It's an important number in scripture. For 40 days, Goliath came out and he would take his stand and he would curse God, the God of Israel. He would curse the Israelites. Day after day, he would stand before Saul's army and Goliath is just intimidating them. The Philistines and the Israelites, he sworn enemies for a long time, but they had never had a battle line drawn like this. Meanwhile, while all this is going on in the Valley of Elah, between two armies, between Goliath and Saul, 10 or 15 miles away from the battle, in an obscure little village, is someone we met last week named David, who's been secretly anointed king, but has gone back to shepherding until the current king dies. And one day, David's father tells David, go out to the battlefront, because you have some of your brothers there. And he says, take some food and give it to your brothers and to the commanding officer. Now, for 40 days, Goliath has been taunting the Israelites. They've been living in fear and defeat for 40 days. But then, on the 41st day, something different happens. On day 41, one little Israelite is going to take on a task that nobody else would. On that 41st day, the history of Saul and of Goliath and of David and the people of Israel would change forever because of one little shepherd kid with a courageous heart. You know, this really is the story in 1 Samuel 17. It's the story of building a bold and courageous heart for God's glory. There's a really key point about David in this story. You see, I think everybody, I know I do, I think everybody in this room and those joining us online, I think we actually want to live with bold and courageous hearts. I do. I think all of us ultimately want to exhibit the kind of courage that David does in this story. I think some of us even spend time thinking about the day where we're going to face our Goliath moment. 
kind of this heroic moment. We're going to come on the scene. We're going to be praised for something. or We're going to intervene in just the right way. We're going to seize our moment. But you know, if you look carefully with me at this story, one of the things you'll discover is that it takes time and intentionality to build a courageous heart. David's courageous heart had to start being built long before the 41st day of a battle. This challenge of Goliath. And I think there's this real illusion in our day that we face in which is that when you face your moment of crisis, that when you face your Goliath moment, and you will, inevitably, you probably already have faced a Goliath moment, we have this illusion that at that moment we can just kind of call out a courageous heart, that a bold heart will just kind of pop out of us out of the blue. That in the moment when it's really needed, we'll just find ourselves courageous. So often it doesn't work that well. It doesn't work that way. The truth is, if you wait until you're facing your Goliath to be courageous, it often doesn't go very well. A courageous heart gets to be built over time. Built stronger every day, and that's what David did. You know, he faced... Several situations in his life that required enormous boldness before he ever showed up on day 41 of a battle. And I think that God used those situations to build a a courageous heart in David. And when we started talking about David's heart last week, I made a commitment this week that said, I want to develop a heart of courage. I don't want to cower and hide in the face of opposition. And I think for this church, I long for us to be just marked as a people with bold and courageous hearts for God's glory. Because I think one of God's great delights is when people follow him boldly in a timid and fearful world. And God loves that. So this morning I just want to walk us through four stages or four sets of circumstances that we see in the text that can help us, as it does with David, that cause us to either lose heart or develop a bold heart. Four stages in the process that caused David or you or I to develop those bold and courageous hearts. And the first one is what might just be labeled facing everyday challenges, facing daily challenges. If you have something to write with, I encourage you to take that out, share it with your group, talk about these things later. You know, we don't like these things very much, these everyday daily challenges. But they do provide an opportunity to develop a bold heart. All those years that David was on his own guarding sheep, because that was his job, he was building a bold heart. He talks about this in verse 34 of 1 Samuel 17. David's explaining to Saul why he's ready to take on Goliath. David has come to the battlefront, as his dad has told him to. He's going to meet with his brothers, and he's let it be known, David has at this point, I'll go take on Goliath. And Saul's kind of trying to talk him out of it. Now here's David saying to the king, listen, here's why I think I can go do this. And he says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant, David says, this is me, has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now we just kind of pass right over that sometimes in the story. You stop and just think about that for a moment. Imagine you're David. You're in a field watching sheep. They're not even yours. 
This is your dad's sheep. And then a bear comes along. And you have no gun, you have no other weapon other than this big stick in your hand. Now, I'm not real fond of bears kind of walking into my life, but here's what David had to do. He had to either face it or run away. And do you know what? David could have run every time. He could have. I mean, the only one that would have seen him would have been the sheep. And sheep aren't great at telling stories about what's gone on in their lives. And the sheep are not going to fight the bear or the lion because sheep are not known for their courage. Nobody ever would have known if David ran away from an encounter like that except David and God. And the Bible says that time after time David stayed, David fought, and David learned. And it's really interesting to me what David says in verse 37. David doesn't say, I learned that I'm really good at fighting bears and lions. He doesn't say, I learned my own sufficiency. He says, I learned that God, who delivered me from lions and bears, can deliver me from this challenge too. I see it the same. You know, friends, you can hear things like God is faithful and say amen to it a thousand times. And lots of people have. And you can read about the fact that God is faithful in a hundred books. And a lot of people have. But you will only come to believe in God's faithfulness in the depth of your soul when you experience it in real life. When you're really up against it, when you're really pushed into a corner. When you've lived by faith to the point that you really find yourself in a spot that is quite precarious. It is only then that people understand a true testimony about the faithfulness of God. Now, dealing with lions and bears may seem a little crazy to us, doesn't it? But that was common occupational reality for a shepherd in David's time. That was kind of an expected occupational hazard. You will encounter bears and lions, and yet people still signed up for that work. And the truth is, all of us, we all have daily challenges to face. Of course, it doesn't look like lions and bears. That seems pretty spectacular to us. That was not spectacular to David and other shepherds. That was just kind of work. So what is it for you? What would it be for me? Well, maybe you have a difficult project at work. A difficult school assignment. And you have the option to procrastinate. You have the option to bail out. To do a subpar job. And to kind of get away with it. To blame someone else for it. Or you could pray, God, with your help, I'm going after that bear of a project. And I'm not going to make excuses. And you find your heart getting a little bit bold. And we say, come on, bears and lions are my project at work. We're talking about the daily challenges that people face. Did you know when we choose a work ethic that honors God in the everyday stuff when no one's looking, you know it counts in God's kingdom. It's, it's building a courageous heart. Maybe you're facing a parenting challenge. Maybe there's a behavioral trend in one of your children and you know that it's going all in the wrong direction. And as you look at your child, love your child, you just get the sense this is going to take time and energy to confront this pattern. And there's a part of you that's tempted to do nothing. Well, here's the thing. You don't actually have to do anything. You could take the easy route if you wanted to. Just ignore it and let the child grow as they will. And a lot of people do. Or you could say, God, I am completely over my head here. But with your help, I'm not going to run from this. And your heart gets a little bit bolder in a parenting decision. There may be a daily challenge for you that sounds like depression and anxiety. And the thought of even just getting out of bed every day 
presents to you an enormous challenge that you face every day and it literally seems impossible. You know when courage really shows up and when it really gets built? is when those suffering with depression and anxiety decide to get their feet on the floor one more day and seek out the help they need to be restored, to be helped for intervention in a way that brings healing and wholeness into their lives. It counts in God's kingdom. Maybe you're facing a relational tension with a family member, a friend or a spouse, and you could pretend not to notice. You could pretend just to put a little bit of a wall up there because you know the tension is there. And you could let fear move you into isolation, or we could start to pray, God, with your help, I've got to face this relational problem and do it in a God-honoring way. Here's the truth about David and about you and about me. It is in everyday moments when no one is watching in an unglamorous kind of job for David as a shepherd that God was growing a heart of courage in him. There was this pattern of trust and faith that David was developing with God, that so when day 41 comes of a massive challenge, the heart is there, ready to respond. You know, if David had waited until he faced Goliath, I think he would have run away But like everybody else, but he didn't. He took on the everyday challenges, lions and bears, and God was faithful. And David's heart starts to get bold. And that's the first way you start to build a bold heart. You courageously face some of the everyday challenges that all of us are going through right now. If you run, you lose heart. You face, you face it, you find God to be faithful. And the courage, the trust that you have in God starts to grow little by little every day. There's a second thing in David's development before Goliath even comes on the scene. You build a bold heart secondly in the face of criticism and opposition. Now we don't tend to like this very much either. But these are great opportunities to develop godly courage. You may remember David had been sent by his dad to give supplies to his brothers who were in this battle with Saul's army. So take a look at me now, verse 26. David comes onto the battlefield and he sees Goliath out there. And he asks those who are standing around, what will be done for the one who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? I want to know who's going out to take care of this problem. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's like, no, 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 this doesn't happen. This is not okay. And so others around repeated to David what they'd been, say, what they'd been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills Goliath. Now, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at David and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Check out this for an accusation. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. You got bored with the sheep and wanted to watch an action movie. And so you've come to the valley for a little entertainment. You are so conceited. You're so self-centered. I know what's really in your heart. There's all this talk about your heart, David, man after God's heart, whatever else. You know what? I know how wicked your heart is. I know how shallow you are. Now, these are all cheap shots at David. David had been sent by his father. He didn't come on his own. He'd already ensured that the sheep were being cared for by somebody else. David's just being obedient. But Eliab just gives him all these jabs. Why does Eliab mistreat David so badly? What's with that reaction? I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you where I think a lot of misguided criticism comes from in life. You see, I think for Eliab and the other brothers... 
Goliath had come to literally dominate their spiritual and emotional and physical world. You could say they suffered from a kind of Goliath sickness of spirit. And every day that Goliath came out and issued that challenge for 40 straight days now, every day that it happened and Eliab heard it, he shrank back every single day and didn't respond. Every day, Eliab's feeling a little bit more like a coward than he did the day before. Every day, he's dying just a little bit. Goliath isn't coming in and just killing everybody in one fell swoop. It's just little bit by little bit, killing them day by day. And I don't, I think Eliab didn't mind being with his other brothers who were there because they were all in the same boat. Eliab's other brothers who shrank back with him didn't make him feel bad at all about himself. But I think when David came along, Eliab did not want David to see the coward. He felt himself to be in David's presence. He saw somebody in front of him who was bold. And by contrast, I think he saw himself for what was going on in his spirit. And Eliab didn't like it. So in the face of David's defiant courage, Eliab's feeling shame. And fear made him unable to love his brother and receive any gifts of provision. Fear does that to us, doesn't it? I want to tell you, this is one of the most important reasons to be bold. If you cower before a Goliath, whatever your Goliath is, if you cower before a Goliath long enough... He just chips away like erosion day after day at your self-respect. It just does and moves you into a place of shame. And you know, it's okay when I'm around other people who've also decided to live in fear. But when I'm with somebody who dares to challenge their Goliath, I feel my own cowardice by comparison and I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. And so I need to do something to bolster my own sense of self-esteem. And so I become angry or resentful or put on this image of false bravado that I'm really okay. And it just eats away at the soul. You see, Goliath, as I said, was killing Eliab one day at a time. And so David faces totally unfair criticism and opposition. Now, how do you respond to that? David literally just shows up with some bread and some things and takes all these hits. And this is all David says. He says, what have I done? Can't I even speak? And then turned to talk to someone else. David states his position. And then he turns away to someone else. He doesn't give in to Eliab, but he doesn't go get the slingshot for some practice either. Right? He just does not allow unfair criticism to have that much power in his life. He gets on with his mission because there's something greater going on in the valley that day than his own feelings. There's something greater going on in the valley that day than defending his own reputation. He's on a mission, David is. And he just says, God has something for me to do. And I'm, I'm just not going to get sidetracked. And his heart gets a little bolder. So let me ask you, how do you do with criticism when it comes against you? Now we're going to have a little confession time here. Show of hands, but don't get nervous. It's okay. I want you to think back over the last, say, 10 years, the last decade of your life. How many of you have ever been criticized at least once in the last decade? Okay, right? See, I knew this. So we include everybody, right? We all have it. Me too. And I've thought over the years, over the last number of years, how is it that I deal with criticism and opposition? I'll tell you, this is, I'm kind of a visual person. I, I see things in pictures and in vivid color. So I want to share with you how I deal with criticism that comes all the time from all different sources. And I really think about myself sitting at my desk and I deal with criticism by putting it in one of three places. 
So at my desk, there's a trash can that sits over here. It's garbage. There's my desk in front of me. And then there's my heart. And I think there's three kinds of criticism that often come our way. There's the criticism that's just untrue. I mean, look at what Eliab says to David. You're wicked. You're conceited. You're just here to see a show. There's no truth to it. There are criticisms that will come against you. There's criticism that comes against me that when I receive it, I just know it's not true. There's no depth to it. There's no reality to it. So where's the first place you put criticism that's not true? Garbage can. It's there. It'll get thrown out. And by the way, reaching back into the garbage can, you know, to pull it out and read it again, don't do it. If it's untrue and there's no reality to it, discard it. It's gone. There's a second kind of criticism, though. And it's the criticism that's partially true. There's some true elements to it, but maybe it came with some heat that wasn't really fair. So where do we put that? I put it on my desk. I hold it out in front of me and ask God, I need to think about that. God, would you help me extract out the good that's going to shape me and form me and then discard the stuff that's not true? Sometimes criticism comes and it's, and it's all mixed up with all sorts of other things and you're trying to discover and discern what's the truth in here that God's trying to get me to understand. And so set it out in front of you. There's criticism that's not true. It goes in the garbage. There's criticism that's partially true. You've got to work to extract. It's got to sit on your desk. You've got to think about it and be wise about the criticism that's come, and you leave it there. But then there's a third kind of critique, third kind of feedback. It's the stuff that's just bang on, right on the target, true. And where do you let that go? Right to the heart. Because it's the kind of critique, it's the kind of conviction that sounds like the voice of Jesus, who's calling out the things that maybe aren't right. Now that stuff can still sting, Because we don't like to acknowledge things about ourselves that we don't like. But you know as well as I do. When there's some feedback, when there's some criticism that comes, when there's a a conviction that comes, you know when it's just hitting all true. And instead of running from it, what I try to do, and I don't do it perfectly, honestly, is those critiques that come that I know are coming from a place of love to try to form me and shape me more into a person of Christ, I let it go right to my heart. I try to let it go right to my heart. The trash can, the desk, the heart. Untrue, partially true, totally true. And I don't know what your strategy is, but that's mine. Because we will face criticism and opposition, and just to write all of it off keeps us shallow. Yet to receive it all crushes the soul. And so we've got to know where to put the criticisms that come. See, when you get really serious about trusting God and facing the Goliaths in your life, there's a good chance that there's going to be people that don't like you. They don't like that about you. And some people in your life will be threatened by that and they're going to want to hold you back. And they will not feel good at all by somebody else who's moving with courage and boldness forward into God to face a Goliath when they've been shrinking back their whole lives. You're going to face some opposition. You're going to face some criticism. When you decide to do what's right and honor God, you just will. And you can, you can choose to give up and lose heart and just join the crowd of people that are cowering. You can, you can get defensive and you can spend the rest of your life trying to set the critics straight. Or you can say, this is what I think that God is calling me to as best as I can discern it. And then you get on with what God is calling you to do. Courage grows in our hearts when we face criticism or opposition in God honoring ways. Here's the third condition. Third kind of test that David meets. You build a bolder heart when you resist pressure to conform. So Saul hears about what's going on. David's making kind of a ruckus in the army. 
And so he has David brought in before him. Look at verse 32. David's brought before Saul. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out and fight this Philistine and fight him. You're a kid. You're a boy. Goliath has been a fighting man since youth. Well, in the course of conversation, David ends up convincing Saul that he's the kid for the job. And then keep looking. Verse 38. It's kind of a funny scene. So Saul stands David in front of him and dresses him in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. Tried walking around. Because he wasn't used to them. I can't go out in these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to them. They're not me. It's not a fit. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. Oh, that's better. That's more like it. Chose five smooth stones from a stream. Put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. Oh, that feels right. That's me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not king in armor stuff. I'm more shepherd sling stuff. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So here's the scene. Saul the king, used to dressing in armor, pulls out all his best stuff and puts it on David. His championship armor, and David can't even move. One writer puts it like this, that Saul is a 52 long and David is a 36 short. And this is not going to work. So David has to do this really bold thing. Remember, Saul is king. David's the subject. Saul's this impressive head and shoulders above everybody kind of guy. David's a kid. Saul's a warrior. David's a shepherd boy. Never been to a battle in his life like this. Here he stands. And I think it would have been so easy for David to say, you know, Saul knows more than me. He's been at this longer. I'll do it his way. But David had come to know something really important. David knew himself. And he knew his enemy. David knew God. And David knew what he was being called to do. And David looked at the challenge ahead of him and knew he needed to face it as David, not as mini Saul. He had to face the challenge as himself, not trying to be somebody else. Friends, you know what the reality is? At the end of the day, you and I, we all choose how we go into battle. We choose. And I want you to know that as you face the great battles of your life, that this is your life and that nobody can choose your weapons for you. Not a pastor, not a teacher, not a boss, a friend, a parent. God has given you gifts. He's given you time. He's given you particular resources. He's he's given you your mind. And God is saying that you can't face the challenges of your life wishing you're somebody else facing it. Instead of just looking at what you don't have, start to look at what you do have. What has God entrusted you with? Instead of fantasizing about being that other person with all that other stuff to face the challenges of your relational world, your spiritual, emotional world, start to discern, what is it that I have? Yeah, I'm not going to do it like that person. I can't really face it like that person. But who has God made me to be? Because whatever you're facing is immensely important to God and no one can choose your weapons for you. The reality is we live in a world that just puts so much pressure on us like Paul, like Saul puts on David to conform to certain ways of operating that make sense to others. Maybe it looks like this. Maybe you're part of a small group or a group of friends where just over time gossip is kind of the way the group works. And you're under pressure that to be part of that group, you kind of know how the conversation works. And if you're going to be part of that group and part of the conversation and not left out, you kind of have to bow to that pressure and talk like everybody else. 
God is wondering, is there somebody that has enough boldness of heart to say, I'm not going to be involved in anything that tears down the community that's so precious to God, and I won't be part of it. God wants there to be bold hearts in a timid world, and not just go with the flow. There's this pressure sometimes to have it all together, to show up at church and make sure that your life is in perfect order, and not be transparent or vulnerable in community because we face the fear of rejection. Yet God's saying, that may be how everyone else is doing it, But he's saying to you, it's time for you to step into vulnerability and transparency and community. It's time for you to share openly with how it really is in your heart. Maybe at your business or school, there's pressure to just compromise on some ethical behavior that's really important. And you know that you could advance higher or be be even well thought of if you just give in to how everybody else faces the opposition. And God is waiting to see if you'll be a strong enough person to have a bold enough heart to say, I know how everybody else does it. I know how everybody else tends to fight these battles, but I'm not giving into that pressure. I know what God has called me to. I know the convictions of my heart. I understand the values I want to live by. And even if everybody else goes into battle dressed like that, I know how God has made me. And I've got to do it the way that he's called me to do it. I'm not going to give in to the pressure. I know how other people are justifying things, but that's not who I am. When we grow in self-awareness and come to know who we really are, it inspires tremendous courage in us to be exactly who God has called us to be in the moment of crisis, which leads to our last idea. In developing a courageous heart, you build a bold heart when you finally respond to the moment of crisis. Finally, now David stands before Goliath. Look at verse 41. It says, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and Goliath despised David. And so he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Remember, he's holding his staff. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So David has never been in this situation before, but he's figuring out that, oh, you're supposed to taunt each other before you fight. Okay. And so he's got to respond. He's got to say something. Look at verse 45. And David said back to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now David says, I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Not real original. Goliath had just said it. David's new at this. He heard a good line and says, you think I'll be the birds and wild animal food? No, you'll be the bird and wild animal food. He's a kid, remember? He's got to get back at him. And you know, in a sense, the summary of the whole story sits right here in verse 45. And David says, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin. You're coming at me with the regular weapons of warfare. Here's what I come against you with. I come against you with a name. You can have your sword, you can have your spear, javelin, all that stuff. I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And here's the thing about that. Goliath never counted on this part. Goliath had been through so many battles, a fighting man since his youth, had been fighting his whole life, but he'd never, ever, ever faced one like this before. Can imagine how off-putting this was to Goliath, kind of a shock. I mean, here's a kid, no armor, no experience, no sword, no javelin, no spear, nothing but a slingshot 
and the God behind him who had formed him in him a heart of courage. And I don't need to falsely build the tension here or anything else. You know how it goes. David slings a single stone that strikes Goliath, and it's all over. And Goliath never expected that. He was ready for lots of stuff, but I can tell you this, he was not expecting that. Now, I don't know what it is in your life that you're facing that you would consider to be in the realm of a Goliath-sized issue. I don't know what that is for you. But I do know this, that if you let the Goliath, whatever your Goliath is, intimidate you, if you let your Goliath convince you that you're helpless, if you run away day after day like the Israelites, you will end up with a life that is paralyzed by fear at the very moment of crisis when a truly courageous response is being called for. You'll lose heart. Your world will get increasingly small and cold. I want to tell you, friends, your life is too precious to God and the battle is too important to go down the road of heading for the hills every time there's a big challenge. You can't take a shortcut around the development of courage because when you face on day 41 the very challenge that you've been prepared for, when you can look back at a history with God that has brought you to that place in the unglamorous, everyday kinds of ways, you stand with a confidence on the day of challenge that you don't even know where it came from, but you discover this deep well of resource of courage that God has put into you for his glory. The writer is really clear about the central message in this story. just spells out his theme over and over. Verse 45, you come against me. Sword and spear and javelin, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God, the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Then verse 47, and all those gathered here, here will know it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves. This is so great. For the battle is the Lord's, and he's going to give me, going to give you into my hands. I think what David had in mind and what was in his heart what was so critical about this is David knew this was not a story about his raw raw courage or his skill with a sling or David's willingness to take a risk. This is a God story. And the story of your life and the story of my life is not ultimately about your courage or your skill or your willingness to take a risk. It is, your life and mine, it is, if if we'll let it be, a story about God and the power that God wants to unleash in your life, one battle at a time, big and small, day by day, so that the world will know that there is a God who goes before you and can lead you today into places of freedom and victory that is better than you can ask or even imagine. Would you pray with me? I'm going to actually ask you to stand. Would you stand for some closing prayer? We've been sitting a little while. Let's stand together. As we do every weekend, just for a few moments, Uh, Wayne, could you bring back up on the screen that last slide with the four ideas? Yeah. And just as we pray together, just want to have those up there. We'll just take a moment to take a deep breath. We've walked through a story pretty quickly and sitting for a while. And just want to give you the space and time to consider, Holy Spirit of God, what does courage look like for me today? God, what posture are you asking me to take in the things that I'm facing? Just take a minute and ask God. Which one of those four things is there everyday challenges I need to face up to? Maybe some of you are under enormous criticism and opposition, and yet God's calling you to respond with a courage and a fearlessness and a humility in the face of that. That's hard to do. Maybe right now you're facing an issue, a problem that's, you know, the reality is you want to conform because it would go so much easier to move with the current 
Instead of moving upstream all the time, instead of being counterintuitive with the gospel, could we just once make it easy? And yet God's saying, you stand against the flow, you walk in another direction, it's how I'm setting you apart in your workplace, in your relationships, whatever else. And I don't know, maybe some of you, you're in your moment of crisis right now. And whatever your Goliath is, you're standing in the valley of Elah up against something so enormous. And you look around and everybody else will be running for the hills, yet God's saying is take your stand. Can you call on the courage that God has built into you in the past and showing you who you are? Just take a moment and turn some of those thoughts into prayers and ask God to do a good work in you today. Father, for the work that you're doing in our hearts, I, I, I mean, even on this Pentecost Sunday, when we remember that there was people, a group of people, trembling with fear, about what would lay ahead for them. And they gathered and they prayed and they sought you with no idea how to take on the massive challenges of their day. And yet this unexpected thing happened. And after walking with you for three years and hearing your promises of them actually going out, these first disciples being sent out into villages to do the work of the ministry, they sat in a room pretty fearful about the future. And as they sought your presence, God, you came upon them with power in sending the Holy Spirit. And what wasn't there before, which was power and boldness, was there after because they were full of your Holy Spirit and they proclaimed boldly the good news of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would do that in this church today, that as we gather, as we think about the challenges ahead, that we would be the people that look to you and say, God, we need power, we need boldness. We can't cower anymore, we can't hide. You've given us a mission to reach this world. And although there's lots of darkness out there, there's lots of difficulty out there, God, you've called us to more. And so would you set our vision higher, lift our eyes off just the issue, lift our eyes to you and to your glory, to your power, to your majesty, so that in everyday battles that all of us are facing, you would be extending your glory into the world one life at a time, that it would start here today. We would have our own kind of Pentecost experience as we choose the way of courage in the power of the Spirit to take on the things that we may not even feel equipped for, but we, we trust you to be faithful. As you have been faithful in the past, you'll be faithful again. And we will walk with you into the life that you have for us. We do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming this weekend, everybody. But go now in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you, the one who believes in you, the one who is built into you to face the very things you're facing today for his glory, for his honor, and for his praise. Go in peace. Have a great weekend.